0: Welcome to episode nine of Smoke and Burn. I'm Casey Gresseth, and today I'm joined with uh, by far my most exotic guest to date, Chuck Butler. How you doing, Chuck? I'm great, Casey.
1: How are you, man? Good. And you are joining us from Wasilla, Alaska. Yep, that's right, Wasilla, Alaska. I'm about I'm about uh, forty five minutes to an hour outside of Anchorage. Right. Yeah, that's uh You
0: kind of drive around like that big bay to get to Wasilla, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a. I have a nice drive in the morning going to Anchorage. Nice scenic drive. I when I went through there, one of the time when I was up there working one
0: time, uh, I saw like a great big moose when I was headed over to Wasilla, and it was like one of the only ones I saw, so I was just like amazed by it.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's a. It's not uncommon on that drive through around that bay. There's a area called the flats and there's a lot of moose there quite. It's kind of like wetlands. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So
0: Chuck, you weren't always in Alaska. Uh, I know that's a, that's somewhat of a recent development. Can you kind of walk us through your, you know, your career and how you ended up with BG and then ultimately in Alaska?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I've been with BG about 16 years now, which is shocking when I say that. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's a long time but it's also went by very quickly. Um but you know, how I got started was my my wife and I, we moved to San Diego, California for her to go to law school. And when we got there, I just needed a job. You know, I we need I needed a job. I needed an income, I needed health insurance and so I found a help wanted ad in the local classifieds and it was for Cormax Tex- Cormax Technology and I went in and they were looking for someone to run the warehouse and I had no idea what BG was or what they did or anything <laughs> so um <laughs> you know I've I've always been a gearhead you know working on my own cars and dirt bikes and tearing things apart and so but they they hired me to run the warehouse and I, I started out down there making kits, repairing equipment, filling orders, handling inventory. You know, that's kind of how it all began for me. And I did that. I did that for about a year and then it moved me into the office. And at that point I started doing like graphics and all their menu. And I started helping out with just day-to-day office tasks, you know, uh, you know, the salesman expenses. I used to count all the chips um, and I was still overseeing the warehouse and, and doing all the product order ordering for him back then. And
0: man, that's a big shift.
1: Yes, it, it was. And, you know, looking back, it kind of groomed me for what I do now, you know, running a distributorship, but I, you know, I was in the warehouse in the office and then what was really, what was really neat. And I owe a lot to a guy named George Louderback he was a sales manager there at the time. And when I was in the warehouse in the office, he used to make me learn all the demos and learn all the equipment. And we had monthly sales meetings and he would make me get up in front of the crew and do demos, even though I wasn't in the field at all. And, oh man. Yeah. Was that, uh,
0: was that irritating at the time? Like, what am I doing?
1: Yes. Oh absolutely. You know, and embarrassing <laughs> and you know, luckily I had a great relationship with this crew down there, and so they were always razzing me and giving me a hard time and um but just awesome experience though. And in in oh six roughly, uh the Elberts, Tom and Nan Elbert bought Cormax Technology. And after that buy sell took place, they uh Kevin Elbert was uh working down there and they moved me out into the field. They made a position for me in the field and I, uh, and I got out and started selling some juice finally, you know, <laughs> to use. And so I learned a lot from the Elberts and Kevin and worked in the field with them for a while. And then roughly about 08, my wife and I uh, moved to Southern Utah and I, I was working for the Elberts in their other territory in Las Vegas. And so I was driving from Southern Utah to the Las Vegas market and, and just running a route. I had several different routes in the Las Vegas market. And in 2010, I got promoted and became the sales manager uh, for Las Vegas. And so from about 2010 to 13, I was a sales manager for the Alberts in the Las Vegas market. And I'd been, I'd been talking with Tom and Nan and, and, you know, and Eric and Ty and all the all, all the Elberts about potentially partnering up and, and purchasing and becoming uh, a distributor with them at some point. And so we've been talking about that for years. And then in, in 2013, one of our customers, Mark Diltz, he, he's my business partner now. He ran a Ford store in Las Vegas. Great customer. He knew the Elberts really well. He was going through some changes that the Ford store, and he reached out to the Elberts about becoming part of BG. And that's what brought him and I together with Tom Elbert. And, and, and before we knew it, we're working with BG and, and Mark and I became the new distributors in the Las Vegas market. And so that was the beginning of 2013. And Mark and I took over Las Vegas. I mean, had a great time. I mean, we, we probably i mean we hit quota we hit bg quota every year in the vegas market except for one we had one year where we didn't quite hit it but we've been we've been doing a uh, doing a really good job in the vegas market and in the beginning of, of 2018 this will this will come full circle to back to alaska why i'm here <laughs> but so <laughs> i got an email from bg stating that the previous owner of alaska was selling his business and I forwarded it to my wife and I talked with Mark about it almost jokingly, you know, like Alaska, you know, and my wife and I always wanted to leave the Vegas market eventually. You know, we just, we didn't fall in love with Las Vegas. And uh, my wife called me probably two hours after I forwarded that email to her and almost word for word, she said, whatever it takes, let's do it. And wow. Yeah. yeah. I said, it's a brave lady. Yep. Neither one of us had ever been to Alaska. So I said, I'll start talking with Mark and we'll contact BG and we'll, we'll put this thing in motion. And we did. And we did.
0: Yep. That is a, (laughs) that's a wild story. There's a lot of twists and turns in that story. You uh, went from running the warehouse to a, a graphics and administrative position yep. to run at the territory, to sales manager, to distributor, and now <laughs> a distributor in Alaska.
1: Yes. Yes. It's, it, it has literally been quite the journey and, you know, and I, and I, and I can't, and I didn't probably mention everything, everyone along the way, but you know, I, I'm sitting here talking to you right now in Alaska running the business because of a lot of people that have helped me over the years you know the elberts and all the salesmen and everyone i've learned from so i owe, i owe, i owe a lot of people a lot of gratitude Oh, that's awesome
0: man so i was in a i was in alaska in i think it would have been 2016 uh huh and we were there to there's cuz you have a couple of AutoNation stores there right uh, no Or is Auto, it is it uh, lithia, lithia? Lithia, Lithia. That's right. Okay. So, so Lauren Peterson and I went up there. I was supposed to do, you know, training with the techs and the advisors. Lauren was going to get several shops set up on VMA. We were just going to like spend two weeks there and just pound out, you know, everything that we could get done in that time period. And, um, I think I went and like, it was like the first week of June. It's like 70 degrees every day. Like eighteen hours of sunlight, and it was like just a blast of a trip. Yeah, <laughs> we had yeah. such a great time.
1: Yep, no, and, nothing beats the summer up here. It's oh yeah, awesome. The, yeah. the only downside
0: is it's a it's a hard time to work up there because nobody's around yeah. during that time period. Everybody's off running around playing.
1: Yes, yeah, I I, I learned that very quickly. One of the, one of the first visits up here before Mark and I, you know, had finalized things and bought the business. We went around to see a couple stores, a couple current clients, and I don't think a single manager was working. They were all out fishing, you know, or gone somewhere. Yeah. Man. So so I know that the,
0: um, the, the territory up there, I mean, is it, is it fair to say that it was
1: a little stagnant, you know, prior oh, yeah. to your arriving? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there was a reason it was up for sale. I mean, it was, a uh, it was a stagnant and a territory that needed some attention, you know, and-, and it was, they
0: had kind of, you know, a limited number of accounts. And then there was, you, I think you said it's the Kendall group out of Oregon that was buying yeah. up dealerships and they have a agreement with wins at the corporate level. And it seemed like it was just a, it was a tough time to be a distributor up there around the time that
1: I was there and, and afterwards. Yeah, and it, and that it, I would agree with that and it's it's still it's still that way somewhat uh the the Kendall group bought a lot of stores up here and they still own the majority of the new car dealers up in this market. And luckily Lithia has a big market share up here too. And you know, we have we of course have a, a great relationship with Lithia. And they uh, they allow their managers to make decisions at the store level, uh, what you know, what maintenance company they partner with. So, I've when I got up here, we had a couple existing Lithia stores, you know, probably the ones you were up here working in. Uh, I think a Hyundai store and a Kia store, if I remember yep, right, yep. a Hyundai and a Kia store, and and we've we've been able to further the business in those stores, but then we've been able to bring a couple more on and I'm kind of on cloud nine today actually, because I left a meeting today with one of the other, uh, with one of the other Lithia stores today and basically got confirmation that it's a go today. So fingers crossed, knock on wood, but, uh, But very good meeting today, and good news. And it's it's one of the largest dealers in Alaska. It's a Chevy store. Oh man,
0: congratulations! That's awesome. How long have you been working on them?
1: Well, it's funny because I was talking with my one salesman up here about it, and he asked me the same thing. And it's I've been in Alaska for two years now. This month is marks two years, and I probably my first visit to this store was probably a month or two after I got here. So it's almost been two years. Of working on it's a this long
0: cold call process.
1: Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. So, so what kind of reception did you get when you were there? I mean, knowing that there was, you know, a bit of a lack of attention paid to the accounts that you did have up there. I mean, what kind of programs did you find, and and how were you received? What was people's perception
1: of BG? Some stores okay. Some some stores, you know, we had some buy in and uh, and. They drank the kool-aid so to speak i mean we had some good some decent relationships and then others that were just totally neglected i mean a a good portion of the stores weren't used to seeing a bg guy on a regular basis they were they were call customer. they were used to getting having to call and try to get the product shipped to them and and so some some rough some uh some rough visits the first few times into places you know one of my Right when I got up here, one of the first things I did was just try to put together the best customer list I could and just go see everybody, you know and take inventory and the status of what I really had going on up here. and I sent out I had sent out a, a letter when I first got up here to the whole customer database that I had received, just announcing the change of ownership and new address, new new contact information and I was shocked because just because of that letter, I probably sold a couple thousand dollars worth of product. No joke. Uh (laughs) (laughs) That's a different buying procedure.
0: So um, let me ask you this. How much chicken feed do you sell?
1: Oh, I haven't quite got into that market yet, but (laughs) I'm looking into it. (laughs) Oh.
0: Long story, maybe another time. Yep. Uh, So you you had sort of a mixture. So did you have a definitive customer list, or or was
1: it fairly incomplete? Did you come to find out? Fairly incomplete. You know, I I had I had somewhat of a customer list to start with, and you know I knew I knew who was buying, you know, somewhat regularly on a monthly basis, and it was mostly a group of dealerships. What I kind of walked into was a handful. I mean, I'm talking like five dealers, new car dealers that were consistent buyers and then maybe one or two independent garages. That's, you know, that's really what the territory consisted of. Wow. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of, you know, every, you know, accounts buying every now and then a case of fuel every now and then. But we, what I walked into was about my first few months up here, just trying to get my hands wrapped around it was probably about we did about 18 to $20,000 in sales each of those months. That's, you know, that's kind of where we started. That's, that's really not bad considering. I
0: mean, you've got Mm -hmm. seven, you know, active Mm -hmm. accounts Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Yep. How, how, uh, how intimidating or stressful was it to, to get up there and, you know, realize the situation that you were in. Cause I, that's one of the things that, that I figured out, you know, when I came into my position at BG as a field trainer is, I guess I'd never really thought about, you know, the position that a new distributor finds themselves in, especially in a territory that's not been well-maintained. I mean, it's most of, most came from a, a, a fairly stable environment where they were making good money. And now they're, you know, it's, it's on a shoestring budget and you need to sell. what, how
1: stressful was that for you? Oh, it it, it absolutely was stressful because, you know, I went from, you know, I was, ble- you know, blessed in, in and Va- in Las Vegas, we were able to, you know, grow the business and add more salesmen. And to the point where, you know, I wasn't running a route anymore and was in more of a, just a manager type role out seeing customers and working with my crew where I get up here and I'm a one man army, you know, I'm <laughs> the warehouse guy that... You know, the sales manager, the delivery guy, I'm, I'm doing it all. And, uh, you know, which wasn't foreign to me, you know, but I hadn't been doing that for quite a few years. And but luckily for me, I, I kind of, you know, when I worked for the Elberts in the Las Vegas market, I got moved around to different routes. You know, as we added people and moved and kind of juggled the territory, I was the one that always got moved to the route that needed work. And so I was always kind of going into accounts that had been neglected and trying to grow that territory so we could throw a salesman into it. And so I kind of was doing the same thing up here, but it was with a lot more on the line and, uh, and, (laughs) but had to, had, had to get some sales right away. So I, most of the initial sales was just from seeing customers that hadn't been seen in a long time and trying to earn their trust back and, just being reliable and getting in there and just growth from within was pretty immediate in a few accounts. And then just going after some of those new car dealers, you know, uh, to get, to get some big business in right away. Now, now, being that you've been out of a
0: territory for a while, you know, you're in more of a, uh, you know, management, supportive training mm-hmm. position. Did, uh, Did you find it like kind of refreshing
1: to just be back in the, in the saddle? Oh yeah, no, I absolutely did. I look, I look, you know, I had fun, you know, I've, I've always had fun doing this selling BG, you know, it's, I mean, there's hardly a day where I don't look forward to going to work, you know, and being up here kind of by myself and, you know, and losing some of the, I didn't have some of the responsibility of employees. You know, it was just me and had to go out there and get it done. And, uh, I had fun, you know, it was, a, it was actually quite fun and shocking the stuff I would run into sometimes on a day, or the stories. <laughs> out here. But, uh, but I've, I really have had a lot of fun up here. Um, it, it's been good. Absolutely. I can understand that. So,
0: you kind of hit on it a little bit already, but you, you walk into these accounts, you know, your first order of business, of course, is just to get around, to see everybody, to introduce yourself, you know, what's, what's your initial goal after making contact with those accounts for the first time? What are you trying to accomplish when you're in those
1: stores? Well, one of the first things I determined early, early that I had to do with the stores was set set up times with them in meetings just to discuss their services and pricing. Because what I found out was, you know, a lot of them had products in there that, I mean, hadn't moved in who knows how long, you know, and they didn't have, you know, the dealers didn't have labor ops set up. um, Didn't know, you know, nobody knew what was going on. And so just sitting down and do the basics, you know, that you normally start a new account with setting up labor ops, you know, getting that out to all the advisors, getting that to the parts department so they know what to bill out. I mean, some of those just basics, labeling their shelves so they knew part numbers, um, making sure equipment worked. I mean, it was literally the basics, you know, just keep it simple type stuff, you know. First step. Absolutely. Yeah, It's that's one of the things
0: like – um you know, I have a I have a rep that just started in a in an independent market here in Kansas, and you know he's in a similar sort of position in that he's just trying to uh, to get a feel for the customer base, and and that's mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about quite a bit. Is you know you can't walk into a store and speak directly into their business right away. Like you have to earn that right, right, trust, and yes. and stuff, and um, you know sometimes pricing is a good first step down that road yep. you know it, it does establish some credibility for you as an advisor you know to them you're helping them sort out something that they really didn't they obviously didn't know how to handle yep what's uh so you you kind of get labor ops and things like that set up you know you establish some pricing for the the, the stuff that you see on the show i guess that's a that's another good question that's alaska being a, a different sort of market than some of the others that that you've probably worked in i mean what kind of product mix did you find in those stores was it conventional or was
1: it oddball stuff bulk fluids it was most mostly the same you know as as my vegas stores and stuff um you know obviously wh- one of the one of the big things up here you know accounts are concerned about is You know, when you when you're going into new places, or you're the new you're the new supplier, is if you're going to be reliable, because it takes so long to get product up here, and you know, an inventory is such an issue for companies up here that they constantly get promised things, and then they can't, you know, this, you know, who, you know, ABC company can't keep providing it because they don't keep enough inventory. So that was that's always a concern. Even now, as we cold call and go into places, and especially as I after some of the other towns outside of the main Anchorage area is, you know, how often you're going to be around? Can you keep us supplied? That's always a big issue up here. So was it, was it tough to
0: learn like what to stock, you know, on your, like in your warehouse and how to, you know, the lead time on what is the lead time on product up there?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the biggest, you know, kind of struggles or, or things I've had to deal with up here is logistics. And so I was used to in Vegas, we would get, you know, when a freight shipment left Wichita, we'd get it in three to four days. You know, I'd place an order on Monday and we'd have it on Friday and up here by the time when it leaves Wichita, it's about 16 to 24 days by the time I get it. Wow. Yeah. So it's everything up here has to go over the water. You know, they they don't really run freight through Canada. Um, it's either through the air or over the ocean. And so most freight orders just due to flammable liquids and stuff like that. Everything goes on barges from Seattle up here.
0: Man. So... You, you did a lot of cold calling right off the bat like how did you yeah. how did you figure out like who you were gonna go after and then how did you structure your cold calls from there forward did you have yep. like a, a working list that you that you kept track of or a schedule
1: yeah so most there's not a lot of new car dealer potential up here at the moment due to you know due to some group contracts but the the limited number of new car dealers that I didn't have, those were, I was cold calling those from, you know, month one, you know, getting in there and getting the process started meeting people and letting them know I'm, I'm here. Um, but my, my quickest sales increase was going to come from independence. Cause we very, very little independent business up here, uh, that we started with. So, I mean, my days, every, every day I would, I would go to the office and I would literally make myself a list of who I was going to see that day, what part of town, you know, I was going to go to, and I would, I was on, I was on Google maps looking for auto repairs facilities in that area. And I would write them down. And that's who I'd cold call that day after I got done service and existing stuff. And that's, that's really what I did every single day. And we had zero fleet business. Um, We didn't have a single fleet customer when I got up here. And so, Fleets, I've absolutely thrown into that mix for cold calls as well. I've been, my major focus over the last two years has definitely been independence and fleets. What kind of
0: reception have you gotten at the fleets?
1: Good, good. We've actually, I've, uh, I've had a really good reception. I, you know, I've never, I've never been the strongest as a BG salesman when it comes to diesel I've always dabbled in it and I, I had some fleets in Vegas that I opened up and it's never been a major focus of mine. And that had to change when I got up here. Um, I relied heavily on a couple guys and I'll give them credit, you know, uh cliff out of Montana and Carrie Pinkerton out of Colorado. I called those oh, two yeah. constantly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I called those two guys constantly cause they, they're in you know cold weather climates and do a lot with diesel and so i i'm always picking their brains and i've been able to get into some uh some bulk fuel treating up here that we that we're having success with and one of our one of our better clients i'd say they're darn near in my top 10 at this point is the the anchorage fire department um really yep yep we've been doing really well with them uh you know EPR DOC and two forty five and all their oil changes. Um, even you know from their from their you know ambulances to their big engines, their fire trucks, and we're doing trans services with them. Uh, they we're nothing but R three one two. They run three one two in everything, um, and we we've been discussing bulk fuel with them, but I haven't I haven't been able to get their fuel yet. But there's another fire department outside of Anchorage, the Chugiak Fire Department. And we do have their fuel business. We treat their tanks. What
0: what kind of fuel are you running into? Because I imagine like here, you know, we see terrible fuel, but it's not as important here as it would be there. I mean, do you find that it's good or bad or freeze point is is exceptional or not?
1: So up here, they pretty much all summer long they're running number two diesel summer blend. And then right around October, they completely switch to straight number one, uh, diesel for, for the winter. And Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it's straight number one all winter long. So you typically don't have gelling issues up here unless you have a piece of equipment or a truck that has been sitting since the summer with that has number two in it. Um, but, you know, anytime you switch, anytime you run a straight number one, you're going to lose BTU and power. And, and it's very dry and lacks lubricity. The, from all the fuel I've tested up here, the, the two things I found is every single fuel is horrendous when it comes to lubricity and corrosion. The NACE rust test, every one of them is absolutely horrendous when we get results back. So just from so those, yeah, just from those two items alone, has helped me get into a couple places and start treating their fuel just from the NACE rust test and, and lubricity.
0: Gotcha. So I imagine that the, the fuel system components like the injectors and stuff, I mean, that would mean they're, they're taking a beating, huh?
1: Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, anybody you talk to up here, it's constant component replacement, injectors, pumps. I mean, you name it, the, the, the D di- they're hard on their diesels up here in the, You'd think we'd have some decent fuel being that it's uh, pulled out of the ground, not too far from here, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's, that's another thing. I remember the the former distributor
0: and I talked a lot about uh, the oil fields and the kind of potential that those
1: represented. Have you made any effort to go after them yet? So I've done a little bit um, through connections and relationships I've got uh, and and people that end up working up there for certain fleets, uh, I've shipped product up there and I've shipped some equipment up there, 9700 tools and stuff that they've used. I I haven't been able to really break through and and get some bi- and get any big business out of the North Slope yet, though. But it's 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 on my radar. It's it's big business up there. He made it
0: sound like relationships were a, a huge component in in getting anything done
1: up there yeah oh yeah absolutely and most people uh most people that i've talked to that work up there and and run trucks and equipment up there it boils down to just like anything i gotta you gotta be there you gotta be there and be in the shops talking to people and i haven't been up there yet you know i've been so much of my focus has been in the major you you know population centers in alaska that uh I haven't branched out and got up there yet.
0: So Anchorage and Wasilla would be the major ones that are, that are in your backyard. Cause you're based in Wasilla, I'm assuming, yep. right? Yes. Um, what's, what's the next closest one? Is it Fairbanks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fairbanks. Um, like you said, the majority of my business is Anchorage Wasilla and that's, you know, that's where I'm at on a daily basis pretty much. And once a month, I travel up to Fairbanks. And so as long weather permitting, I drive, it's about a five and a half to six hour drive. And then I usually stay up there for two, three days and, and service the clients I have up there and, uh, and, you know, and try to develop some new business, obviously. And that's, that's one of the markets that I've been the most successful in actually up here. They, uh, they just having someone consistent that they see monthly that hasn't disappeared on them, I mean, that alone has uh, gained me some business up there. You know, it's funny because I had similar sort
0: of experience in in Western Kansas because I remember we we hired a guy on that used to work out there and you know just couldn't come to terms with the old distributor, and then you know we hired him back. And so he and I went out, you know, early on when he started and we're just going to cold call. Uh-huh. And I think when you cold call, you're preparing yourself to be told to get out,
1: right? Yeah. Like you, expect yeah. People- yeah, you absolutely are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Especially if you've, you know, if you've been gotten a lot of experience in a major metro area, like they get cold called a lot and they're used to telling people to pound sand and Man, we, we went through like five or six dealerships, cold called them, set a meeting, had a demo. I mean, we put product in them like the second or third visit, several of them. And uh-huh. I just, it blew my mind. But you know, what I learned is that it's the same sort of thing. Like nobody was reliably spending time in these shops and they were just, you know, they were just amazed that somebody was actually
1: putting some time and effort into them and treating them like they were important. Yes. Yes, and I I got got a story along those lines. The very first time I ever went to Fairbanks, I had been here a month, month and a half, and I drove up there, and I went and saw the current clients that were buying, which was only like three shops, and then three independent garages, and then I went after the big dog in town, big Chevy store. That's the first place I went and cold called. And I had done my research, you know, I knew who the service manager was, I had got on their website, and I knew what he looked like, they had a picture of him on the website. And I walked in and I found him there he was standing outside his office. And I walked up to him. And before I even introduced myself, he just saw BG on my shirt. And he goes, equipment, we were just talking about you this morning. I said, you were." (laughs) he goes yeah tech was telling us all about bg (laughs) and it was like wow i need a few more of these to go down (laughs) right you know it's
0: funny i was i was having a conversation with one of the guys the other day about follow-up and how important it was on a cold call and stuff you know there's, there's shops where it takes you know, a lot of cold calls before you're finally going to find an inroad or, or, you know, set a demo. And it's a lot of it's just being consistent, right? Being reliable. And one of these days I said, you're just going to hit them on the right day. And they're looking for something like what you're offering. And all of a sudden that guy that's told you to get lost so many times is going to, is going to invite you to share with him. And literally we're, we're having this conversation in the parking lot of a store, we're about to go cold call. We walk in, introduce ourselves, and the guy goes, man, it's so weird that you guys are here. We were just talking about BG like four days ago. We really need a new trans machine. Yep. <laughs> and it was it was so funny. It was like literally 30 seconds after we didn't have the conversation.
1: And then it happened. Yeah, and it's, it's just crazy because I had that on my first visit, and then like we were talking earlier, a different store that's – it's been two years before I'm finally having a decent enough meeting to potentially move forward. So,
0: yeah. Now, I've I've always found that in rural and isolated areas, sometimes the pace of play is a little slower than what we like. I mean, are yeah. you finding that people there are receptive that they want to move the needle?
1: Yeah, I mean a little bit within some of the dealers because they're, you know, they're part of groups that are a little more corporate, so they're being held, you know, held accountable and and pressures putting on put on the managers, but. Some of the some of the more locally owned stores and stuff it's it's defi- definitely a different pace up here, you know. Coming from San Diego and the Vegas market, it's a uh, it's a different pace that that I've welcomed actually. Um, but the downfall to that is sometimes they uh, when you're ready to roll, they don't want to move very fast. It's one of those things. Uh, let's wait till the let's wait till we get through the holidays and get into the new year. I'm like it's September you know, come on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Now, have you, have you, what kind of training have you been focusing on with your, your accounts that are up and running and doing pretty well? Like what kind of training have you been
1: doing with them? Well, a, a big focus, you know, kind of to end last year and, and starting this new year has been VMA. I've got really, yeah, I've got, for for the size of my area and for how many dealers we got we got a large majority of them on VMA and j- you know just like anybody we got some we got some winners and we got some not winners <laughs> <And> less winners <laughs> yeah less winners <laughs> and so a, a big portion has been between my uh my salesman up here Josh and I we've been we've been putting a major focus on getting VMA usage and just getting the presentations. I mean, we had for an exa- example, we have a we have a Kia store, and it's that store you were at when you were up here,
0: yeah,
1: EMA for years, and that you know that particular store. Unfortunately, since I've been up here two years, they're on their fourth service manager Oof. in two years, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think they have a single advisor or tech, you know, that uh, is still is still there. That was when I got from when I got up here. So, a lot of turnover, but we were just looking at numbers today. They're, they're January of last year versus January 2020, and the only major difference is we've been pushing menu presentations, and they tripled uh, their BG revenue um, this month versus last year. Just just pushing menu presentations is all it took. Man.
0: Yeah, I think when I was there, we were supposed to set up Hyundai and Kia. But oh, if I remember right, we spent most of our time at Hyundai because the manager at Kia was brand new.
1: Yes. <laughs> so there's a pattern there. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yep. And now, that, one thing that's been a big change for me too, you know, in the Vegas market, we got some large new car dealers, you know, and I mean, we we we've got some new car dealers with, you know, 10 to 15, 16, 17 service advisors. And up here, everything everything's just much smaller. You know, most most of our new car dealers are sitting at like two service advisors, sometimes three. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to, you know, look at things a little different versus where my mindset was, you know, how much are we putting into that store each week, you know, or each month? You know, I have started running reports up here and looking at, Purchases versus number of advisors as as a as a key to kind of evaluate the stores. And it's a different sort of metric. Yeah, yeah, I had to kind of change how I evaluate the stores just just due to their different sizes. Hmm.
0: Now that's Alaska is kind of a a, in some to some extent it's a transient community right i mean you get a lot of people that that come in from out of state they're there for a while and then they they move back or they move elsewhere is that has that been an issue at your stores
1: oh yeah absolutely you know a lot of a lot of military up here you know so they come up here and once they're once they once they've served and they're out they'll 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 stay and work for a while and then they move back to the lower 48 so a lot of military moving in and out and uh the other thing we talked about, the North Slope and the oil fields, um, a lot of movement there, too. You know, technicians can make a lot of money up on the slope and we'll lose technicians constantly because they'll get a they'll get a gig up on the slope. Then they'll come back because they got laid off and then they get a gig again and they leave. And so a lot of turnover up here. That's 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 one thing. That's what that's been one of the struggles you know especially and even in management too a lot of turnover with managers and so i'm having to sell the program and and kind of start fresh quite often
0: all right that's that's tough yeah now if anybody in the world is operating under severe conditions it's it's you guys do you find a less kickback there over, you know, manufacturer suggested intervals and stuff than you did in Vegas?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, they, uh, they, they, they take the extreme conditions to a whole nother level up here. I really don't run into that at all. Even, even, even when I'm working with advisors and the consumers, you know, bringing their cars in, you know, tend to understand, you know, we work, we live, and and drive in extreme conditions up here. So severe maintenance schedule is is just a must. You know, the the only thing I run into up here that that is a hindrance with the with the manufacturers is the loyalty programs. So oh,
0: yeah, so the worst.
1: Yeah, the pace program with GM and Mopar loyalty; those tend to be worse up here than what I've had to deal with in the past because because we're so far away and it's so hard to get parts and product quickly, you know, the dealerships tend to have to buy locally quite often when they run out. And so their loyalty numbers are, they're always running on the ragged edge of, of maintaining their, you know, their pace numbers if they're a GM store. So getting into new GM stores has been very difficult. We've had to get, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite uh intuitive with uh how we do things (laughs) (laughs) well
0: that's that's can be an issue at about any gm store like what's uh what have you found is a good way to a good compromise or a good way around that that particular issue with the pace program
1: well i've we've done it a few different ways you know i have a i have one gm store that Service just buys the product. Um, it, we, it's stocked in the parts department and parts hands it out just to control it. Mm-hmm. But when we write an invoice there, it literally gets billed directly to service. And so it's, it's looked at as more like a shop supply. And we've, we've, we, we've had to just increase the labor on those particular services to cover the product costs. And so that, now, do they
0: do anything to reconcile that lost income with parts, or is it just kind of an understood, like, this is how we got to do it? Tough luck.
1: Well, so what, what, what they've done at that store, since parts inventories it and hands it out, when we invoice them, parts takes a 30% markup. They mark it up 30% and bill the service department. So they Okay. Get, yeah, so they get 30% just right off the top as soon as we write the invoice.
0: Now does service get touchy about invoicing since it's coming straight out of their bottom line? You have to do it at certain times of the month or anything
1: yes yeah they 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 do because they they don't like us to they don't want to invoice the last week of the month, which understandable I guess <laughs> yes that's what it does so the last week of the month we're not able to put product in or or invoice them but that usually turns into a pretty healthy invoice the first week of the following month. we has got to like those. That's
0: a good way to start things off.
1: Yeah. So that's one way we've got around it. But, but here recently there was a GM has a, a new letter that's came out in December where it looks like sales loyalty is no longer a qualifier for the pace program. And I've confirmed that with a couple of dealers up here. So now, it, now say that again. There was a letter that GM put out in December that stated that sales loyalty is no longer a qualifier for the PACE program. So I, I've clarified that with a couple of my stores and it seems to be, seems to hold true. I mean, I, I guess at any time Chevy could go and, and reinstitute the sales loyalty, but it looks like for 2020, it's no longer a qualifier for the program, which could open things up for us and make things a little easier at the GM stores. Interesting. I hadn't heard that yet. I'm going to have to go look into that a little bit. Well, and, and none of my stores had either. I, I've i been taking the letter around to the, the service managers and parts managers, and nobody was aware of it. And But we we logged in. They They have a dashboard they're able to look at and it's no longer being listed as a sales qualifier for the program.
0: Wow. Well, that would be great. That would, uh, that would make life a lot easier for all of us. Yes, it would
1: be. You know, my (laughs) my worry is that GM brings it back in six months or something, but at the moment it looks promising.
0: (laughs) They are notorious for being the absolute worst. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, What's, what are you looking at this year? Like, where do you see your growth coming from this year? I know you've, you know, you're continuing to hunt new business and stuff, but like, what are some of the the things that you're very focused on going into 2020?
1: So we put, like I was saying earlier, a major focus on VMA and usage, but we're also, we, we put a big focus on, uh, trying to implement incentive programs at some of our stores. And so we've, we've been having meetings with our stores and, you know, the ones that are receptive to it. uh, We've got a few new incentive programs going that, that have immediately given us some results. Uh, We've got some immediate sales bumps from that. And then the other big focus is just cold calls and demos. We, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a demo. uh, I'm a demo nut. You know, I love doing demos. And so, Anytime I can be out demonstrating the product, I'm I'm I'll I'm all for it all the time. So, my guy my guy up here, Josh and I, uh, cold calls and cold calls and demos. I mean that's our major focus. We were I was looking the other day, and we we gained roughly thirty thirty new accounts last year. Wow, number yep, and all of it's from cold calls. I mean for the most part, and a few referrals thrown in there, but. Mostly all cold calls,
0: man. That's that's awesome.
1: Yep. So incentives. That's that's
0: an interesting, uh, an interesting focus. And you know, that's I'm sure you know that is sometimes the, the subject of controversy within BG. You know, yeah. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of guys who are very, you know, uneasy or opposed to, to incentive programs. But I think if we're to look at like the most successful BG reps and distributors, incentive programs are, they're a huge part of how they build these these massive sales programs and stuff at different stores. Like has has it, incentives always been a, an important part of your strategy in stores? And, and what is your incentive programs that you're trying to set up look like?
1: Yeah. So when I started in San Diego, we had very little incentive program set up. You know, we we always had the tokens in the cans and which eventually moved and we started doing stickers. You know, we always did those, but if we look at the new car dealers and incentive programs for the advisors, we we I never really was exposed to much down there. We didn't really have anything going on like that. And when I got to the Vegas market, boy, did things change. <laughs> you know, I mean, at one point, I had a dealer in Vegas doing $10 to the advisor, $10 to the tech, and the back counter guy in parts got a couple dollars. <laughs> Man, yeah, I mean, it was and that's why I said boy things changed. But you know that was excessive to me. You know, cuz it's one of those things, yes, they we should just sell it because it's the right thing to do, it's the best thing for the customer. But when you incentivize an item They're going to put more attention on it, and it's going to move. What if you incentivize what you want to sell? It's going to it's going to help, and it's going to sell. Um, I like incentive programs, within reason. You know, my ultimately what I what I like to what I like to set up is where you know where we build some money into the product cost, but then we, we, as a business, we then cut a check back to the account at the end of the month and they distribute it through payroll or whatever. I, that's the ideal setup for me, but a lot of the stores like us to administer it, you know, um, and then we get involved in tracking it and doing ten ninety nines at the end of the year. But I'm pretty flexible with the incentive programs. You know, what, what, with what the account wants to do.
0: I think, uh, one of the things that, that is overlooked a lot of times by the guys that are like, I don't feel right about this. I don't think we ought to be doing it. There are so many things that an advisor could sell to a customer and none of them are wrong. I mean, there's there's reasons to sell all of those things to a customer at different mileage intervals and stuff. Yeah. I think that if if there's not some sort of, whether it's internal or through BG, if there's not some sort of an incentive program on our services, we are one of the only things in that store that the advisor can choose to sell that they're not getting incentivized on. Yes. Because tires, true. filters, all that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the manufacturers have incentive programs for them. Yep.
1: Yep. No, I, I agree with that. That's very, tr- uh, very true statement. You know, they're, they're being incentivized on other items. And if they're not on the BG items, they're going to, you know, their focus, their focus is going to lie elsewhere.
0: Right. Yep. The concern is always is always overselling, you know. Yes. We've all had that conversation 3000 times with accounts, you know, but uh, I don't know about you, but in my entire career with BG, I've maybe had two or three people that I thought were overselling. <laughs> you know, it's not yes. something that's common and I'd I'd much rather regulate, you know, manage somebody who's just too successful than uh continue to manage all these people who are not successful at all.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, I love the, you know, just the competitive juices that get flowing with the, you know, when you're involved in the incentive program and you can go in there and make it fun, you know, and uh, you can raz you, 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 you're part of the group and you can razz some of the employees. Oh, so-and-so did this. And, you know, look at the check this guy's getting, you know, it, it makes it a lot of fun and, uh, and brings you into that account you know, uh, a lot more. I think fun is an, is a part of our,
0: you know, successful programs that we just don't, we don't give enough attention to, you know, if it's fun to, to engage with BG and to try to do better with it and to, and to focus on it, you know, it's not only do they do better, but there's just a, a much more positive energy surrounding the program.
1: Oh yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And you know, and one of the, one of the things I did too, you know, because having fun and, and it's all about relationship building, you know. So one of the things I forgot to mention earlier, but that I did right away when I got up here with some of the existing clients was get in there with some food and break bread with them, you know, and just, you know, that's one of the first things I would do to tr- try to jumpstart that relationship and you know, and and kind of earn their business. You know, I'm coming in as an outsider you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything for you, you know, and, uh, getting in there and repairing their equipment and buying them lunch. And, you know, that, that was one of the first things I did at every account, which really helped too.
0: Yeah. Barbecue them some, you know, pickled whale blubber or whatever it is you guys eat up there. (laughs) Caribou and moose, you know, (laughs) (laughs) there is like, there's some sort of native Alaskan food that's like some sort it's like a blubber dish what's what's the word for it I forget there's a name for it you'll see signs for it like on the side of the road
1: at like touristy
0: spots
1: yeah I can't think of what it is either but I've seen those signs in the spots you've been talking about yeah I heard it's horrible (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy you know I run into all people eat everything up here you know bear and you know it's people prefer bear meat up here. <laughs> I always, I always heard, cause I've always been a hunter and outdoors guy and, you know, most of my life. And it's like, you know, most people would avoid bear, but I got a lot of buddies up here and customers I meet that, you know, they prefer that bear meat. And w- what's fun up in Fairbanks is most of the time when I'm at a shop, they'll be doing lunch and it's moose, it's moose on the grill or moose chili that we're eating. So
0: <laughs> man, well, I guess if you, if you pop a moose, you got a lot of meat to get rid of. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, so there's, you. there's a fun question for you. You're an outdoorsman. You are pretty excited about getting up there. Like what's some of the most fun things you've gotten to do with or without customers up there?
1: Well, I've been, I've been really fortunate. I've met some great customers that are obviously outdoorsmen as well. I've, you know, I've had customers take me out, uh, take me out fishing in real remote areas for pike. Uh, I went moose hunting, uh, you know, m- when moose season comes around, which is September, half the shops are empty, you know, people, people <laughs> put up moose camps and they go out for weeks and, <laughs> and uh, it's a major, major thing up here. And, you know, I've been able to go out moose hunting with customers uh, just last week. Uh, I was in Fairbanks and it was, we were out riding snow machines after work every night and it was negative 30, negative 20. and Oh my God. Yeah, it was cold. We're out riding snow machines and, and going after wolves. You know, they were, we, we didn't see any, but we were out looking for them.
0: That's uh, yeah, you might be the first BG distributor to have <laughs> done that as a, as a, uh, you know, a relationship building activity. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. Have you had any like crazy, uh, close encounters with wildlife at all?
1: We actually have, I was out moose, I was out moose hunting this past year and we got, we were, we were walking down a trail, me and a, me and a, a buddy of mine up here. And we, uh, we stumbled upon a, a cow moose and her, and her calf. And, they were probably 40 yards ahead of us on the trail and so we just stopped we started backing up but she her hair raised up and she started stomping at us and I thought she was going to charge us but we just slowly backed up and and uh, she sat there and she was uh she was playing mama bear she was protecting her little one and luckily you know we weren't in between her and her little one so she didn't end up coming after us but she she kind of bluff charged at us a couple times. Oh, man. Yeah.
0: Just you have to buy yourself a new set of long johns afterwards? Or? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't have a... You know, a lot of Alaskans up here keep telling me I'm not a true Alaskan until I have a bear story to tell. I do not have a bear story yet. Oh, <laughs> screw that. <Yeah. laughs> man. No bear story yet.
0: Well, I guess if you gotta go, then you know at least have a good story to tell after. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> Chuck was in the middle of a MOA demo and and got gored by a moose. Moose. Yeah. Yep. I am going to go out with a customer of mine this spring, uh, going after a black bear. So I may have a a bear story come springtime.
0: Oh, awesome! Yeah, we we'll we'll do a follow up
1: episode to hear. Yep. yep. About your your close encounters. Yep. Well, ne- next time I'm going to fly down and we'll do it in studio together. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, there we go. But I do have, I do have a, I do have a demo gone wrong story. I'd love to share with you, though. Yes.
0: Okay. So I was gonna. My plan was to put together a whole episode of like demo gone wrong stories, but I just didn't hear back from it. Thanks, Ray Riley, for sending me yours. I appreciate it, but. uh Let's hear it man. I'm I'm excited to hear how some
1: of these have gone. Okay, so this was this was back when I was in Las Vegas. I was at a uh, very large Toyota dealership and they had a at the time they had a completely separate quick lane, express lane off to the side of their main service department. Very large store. I mean, the quick lane itself probably had heck, I don't know, 8 to 10 bays, you know. And uh I had all the service advisors uh, early morning in the shop and we were just putting in EPR and MOA. It was the first time this service was going to go into this store. And so I'm there to talk about it and I'm demoing EPR. And I've always used the test bearings from the, from the bearing machine. I've, I've, I've never had the round ball bearings. I've always just used the test bearings and coated them with undercoating and just one. I've always just used one for my EPR demos. And then the other thing I've always done, I've always used a larger propane torch to kind of speed up the EPR, you know, speed up the cleaning of the bearing instead of my smaller torch that I'd use for fuel demos. And I'm in front of all the advisors and I'm, I'm warming up that EPR and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shaking the test tube a little bit so you can hear the bearing. You know, you can hear it clink against the sides once it's clean. You can, see, you can hear the sound difference.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And next thing I know the bottom of my test tube breaks and I had too much EPR in this test tube, it falls, the bearing, the EPR fall out of the bottom of the test tube right through my flame and ignite. I Ooh. have I have EPR all over the floor in front of me, all over my shoes on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so your shoes fire. were actually burning? Yes. Where that EPR... Fell and splashed in probably like a ten foot uh, uh, circle and flames everywhere. Luckily, I was in the shop on concrete floors, but uh, I'm I, man, I was I was so embarrassed. I mean, everyone was. I mean, I had guys running for fire extinguishers. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, I that's I that I've never burned a shop down when I'm doing a demo, but I almost have. that's always like the cautionary tale
0: that we tell at at Uh bgu when we get into the demo center it's like hey look i don't care how long you've been doing this you need to stay with the group okay no working ahead no trying new crazy things you know because we've had more than one fire during the epr demo so (laughs) we are not gonna have a fire today yep
1: yep. Ooh, that's crazy did they buy it no, oh, they did. Yeah, they definitely used it. Oh, it man. so you, you win. Yes, I did win. Even though it went bad, you know, it was it was something that always got talked about with those advisors and employees forever, you know.
0: <laughs> well, at least uh, you made a sale you could afford to buy some new shoes.
1: Yes. Yep, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Well, Chuck, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. You know, we got a bit of a time difference and things, so I, I I appreciate you taking time out of your day to to record this. And man, I'm it's it's great hearing about uh, the progress
1: you've made up there. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's it's been a long, hard journey, but it's been worth it. It's been a lot of fun. And real quick, I just wanna I want to say thanks and, uh, and shout out to my to my crew in Vegas all those guys and girls down there and my partner, Mark and his wife for holding the place down and my wife up here, she handles the office. And then I got one salesman up here, Josh, he's been out kicking butt and taking names. So without all those guys, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So I just want to tell them. Thanks. Man, that's and so awesome. Thank, you. thank thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me to have a conversation with you. I appreciate it, man. I, I learned something from every one of these podcasts, every one of these guys. So, Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you.
0: I appreciate that. Well, stay safe up there, Chuck. Don't get mauled by a bear and we'll
1: talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, brother.